Hello, ho, ho, goslings. Mm. <laughs> Do you want me to try that again? No, I love it. <laughs> that, that was a, a, a hum of appreciation. <laughs> Welcome to the Smug Buds, uh, your favorite podcast hosted by me, Liz, and my co-host, Will. How are you, Will? I'm good, Liz. How are you? I'm good. Happy it's holidays. It's December. It's December 2023. A chill is in the air. <laughs> And the lights are on the houses, and the trees are in the houses. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's Christmas time. Yeah, it's a great time of year. There's Merry a lot Christmas of, time. A lot of fun things going on. Um, it's, uh, eggnog is in the fridge. I'm it's mixing it up with my iced coffee. Nice. It's good. I'm mixing it up with my whiskey. Yeah. Presumably not at the same times of day that when you're doing your thing. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about how Blake had never had eggnog before, like, 2020? Yeah, I, I that sounds familiar. He was like, I just think it's gross. And we were like, Blake, no, we we know the foods you like. Uh-huh, right. You will like this. And I you wish... Will, you will like this drink that tastes like melted ice cream. Yes. Yeah. So I wish I, I'm, I'm so sad. This is like, you know, we don't have to record every seconds of our lives, but this is something I wish I would have recorded because his mm. face, his was a look of shock. Just mm-hmm. absolutely. He was like, this is delicious. And we were like, mm. yeah, it's just, it's just drinking custard is what it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And he goes, I guess I just thought it would taste more like eggs. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Hence the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Do you have any like uh, Christmassy things you do? Well, we do Secret Santa every year, a right. uh, core group of us. Um, this year, it's a, a group of eight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, to say any more about that would uh, give away <laughs> some state secrets. So I've said all I can say. I will I will ask one question. Did you mm. find that it, did you know immediately what you would get your person or did it take some thinking? Uh, <laughs> neither. Uh, I didn't know immediately and it didn't take thinking because we, uh, rather than literally drawing names from a hat, we use a website uh-huh. and, uh, one of the functions of the website is that you can create a sort of wish list oh. or, uh, just like write what your interests or, or hobbies are. Okay. Okay. And, uh, I, you, you have gotten me to give away too much because <laughs> as, as soon as that came out of my mouth i realized not everyone does this in fact it is rare among this small group of friends to use that functionality of the website so i've given away that i'm giving a gift to someone who do, who has done that well you can cut this out but do you bake cookies or anything like that like, are there any special treats that you especially look forward to or that you have you have to recreate yourself because you can't purchase them? Or or things that you just seek out, I guess. There will be some special treats, but I uh, don't have a particular example in mind that is a tradition that comes around every year. Yeah. Um, I love to, and I think I've spoken about this before, and we were just speaking about it, but in more detail, I love to buy eggnog from the store. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I I have a particular type of cookie in my mind that uh, 
I have not had in a while because it is something that my dad would make, which I think was his mother's recipe. Steve. Perhaps, perhaps one day I will acquire that same recipe and yeah. Dana and I will make those cookies ourselves. But so far we haven't. So it's not a recent tradition. Um, Wait, you, I'm sorry. What are the cookies, Will? Well, they, they are... Uh, they, hmm. Sorry, I didn't think this okay. was going to be. I wasn't trying to hardball you so early in the app. <laughs> they're like they're like this small. Uh-huh. Will uh huh. Will making the size of with his giant hands a golf ball. Mm, it's smaller. Than, so I'm joining my my thumb and pointer finger. Uh huh. To make a circle, I would call like slightly bigger than a quarter. Okay. Okay. Um, they're they're not flat, but they're not spherical. They're like they're domed. Sort of, they're domed, right? And they're a light brown, mm-hmm. classic um, cookie color, with uh, some like multicolored sprinkles <gasps> in the center. And I would say that they they taste of a certain varietal of chocolate that I would call sort of subtle. Oh, interesting! And not super rich but um i might be going off script here because i might be uh mischaracterizing them well steve i know you listen so feel free to send us both the recipe Uh, at smugbuds at gmail.com we're gonna hear about we're gonna hear about how i'm how i'm wrong about (laughs) how there's in fact no chocolate in them but (laughs) just brown sugar or or something like that I, i don't know um, the cookie I always like to make, which I haven't actually made in the past couple of years, but maybe I'll have to do this later today, are they're called sand tarts. Mm. And other people might just call them sugar cookies. I think calling them sand oh. tarts is Pennsylvania Dutch specific um, because I have seen the people on the very hilarious Pennsylvania Dutch uh, cooking Facebook group I'm a part of um, call them sand tarts recently. But some okay. people, the recipes that I've seen them using on that group actually use eggs, but the version mm. that I do is just butter sugar and flour like Mm. not even any vanilla Mm -hmm. um and it's something i think it's something like two cups of flour to one cup of sugar to a half cup of butter Mm -hmm. and um you you make the dough and it's pretty soft and then you roll it out really thin so you have to chill it but like Mm -hmm. really thin Mm -hmm. um and then you cut them out and usually put some like sanding colored like sanding sugar on top and you bake them Mm -hmm. but they're like they're like eating chips because you use salted butter of course because Mm -hmm. you know we're not fancy bakers here um sure they snap they like like snap Mm. when you eat them they're so thin and like crunchy and just like it's just like you taste like you realize that sugar has a taste uh yeah um, that isn't just sweet, but yeah, hmm. I, I love those cookies. I should make them this year. I should, the okay. problem is rolling them out cause you need a big space to mm. roll them out, which I traditionally have struggled with having that space. I see. Um, do you have any a, tra- old- a tradition that is not beloved? <laughs> yeah. Not have having space. <laughs> too little counter space. Um, I think whether or not I have any old business depends on whether or not you have a certain bag uh, within arm's reach. <laughs> I do. Let's get some bag okay. ASMR. 
Okay. I was going to insert the jingle there, but maybe it's just bag ASMR. No, no, because I have, I have old business oh. to play the jingle. Okay, well, in that case. Old business. Do you want to go first? Or? Yes, I have a new video, um, uh, music video genre. Please. Um, girls singing in front of monster trucks. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, so someone more than just Phoebe Bridgers has done this. So I knew that I actually had two of them for this and um, didn't even think about it until I saw the third one and then sort of put the other two together. Mm. But Phoebe Bridgers does, of course, uh, sing in front of monster trucks in Emily, I'm Sorry. Yes, directed Um, by Kristen Stewart. Directed by Kristen Stewart, very gay. Um, There's before even that by quite a while... Um, Grimes um, mm. is singing in front of monster trucks in Oblivions. Okay. And it's almost the exact same shot, which is part of why I think this is interesting. Cool. Because, listen, Will, you don't have to like Grimes for me to explain technically why this works. <laughs> we are speaking that, functionally right now. That cool was a little bit more for <laughs> my disappointment with the idea that Kristen Stewart and and Boy Genius did something that Grimes had already done. <laughs> well, okay, they did it very differently. Okay, well, not very differently, but the it's, thing that you were just saying, <laughs> the two things you were just saying, look so similar. It look it's the same shot, but the Grimes video, it's not the entire mm-hmm. music video. Okay, so in the Grimes video, she's standing against a railing, and the the trucks are in the background so in that sense it's exactly the same shot but she's also at a football game mm-hmm. and i forget if there's like a third stadium related event she's in she's in like a locker room with the boys from the football team um and she's the whole the idea of the music video is that she's sort of like dancing and singing holding a boombox at this event which is unrelated to her song mm-hmm. whereas in emily i'm sorry the way that it's different even though the shot is the same is that of course Phoebe for almost the entire music video until the very end. Phoebe's standing still in one spot as, and it's yeah. it's that's the only shot. Right. The third person to do this is somebody I've just discovered named Chapel Roan. Hmm. Um, Chapel Roan is this queer, um, like pop singer, um, mm-hmm. who has a song called um, "Hot to Go," mm. and. It's like, she's so fun, Will. She's got this, like, just huge head of, like, curly red hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and her songs range between these, like, sort of, like, ballads and these, like, super bouncy pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hot To Go is a is a um, pop song. And so in that music video, she's sort of dancing around either doing this little hot, this little dance that goes along with uh her singing h-o-t-t-o-g-o you can take me hot to go um and like being in group crowds of people are more similar actually to the um grimes video but Mm -hmm. one of the places that she is is she's standing in front of a bunch of bunch of monster trucks (laughs) yeah um so yeah i you know i don't know should we have more girls stand in front of monster trucks at in music videos (laughs) If it ain't broke, that's <laughs> what I say. Um, do you have any old business that isn't from the bag? I don't think so. Maybe something uh, will come to me. But if you would, please reach into my grab bag, pull out a slip of paper, 
and read to me what's written on that slip of paper as we have done for the past couple of months here, here on the go. smut buds. You really had to use like post-it yep. notes. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were just the right size or for what oh, I Oh, this is your handwriting. Yeah, I thought it might be. You know why I can tell? Uh, it looks good. It does look good. It, actually, you have really cute handwriting. Oh. Um, but it's also because it starts my. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be really funny if like Kim had written, my brilliant uh -huh. idea. You need right. to explain it, Will. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. My brilliant idea for the next James Bond, parentheses, that they'd never go for today, and parentheses. Right. Yes. So when I, when I, so here, so here's the thing. This would have been more timely a few months ago. Mm. And in the time in between, nothing has really changed yeah. in the circumstances and the context, except I have heard on one or more podcasts other people, real professional podcasters, say something very similar to what I'm about to say, which I thought I was clever for coming up with. <laughs> well, I think that I don't think clever is necessarily about singularity. So, um, for example, uh, on the... Uh, my favorite podcast blank check they mm -hmm. have a, a patreon where in most of their bonus episodes they have picked a film franchise and they record a commentary and recently they were doing the pierce brosnan james bond movies mm. and they had a rare uh guest uh for one of these episodes and it was jason manzoukas oh, and yeah. Griffin Newman and David Sims and Jason Madzukas got to talking about James Bond and the, uh, particularly Jason, uh, but but the others as well. They were pontificating on wouldn't it be great if they did something like this? Okay, so uh, the context for this is obviously I, I think you are aware of this, even if if you haven't watched all of these movies. Yeah. Um. We're between bonds right now. Yes. We're done with Daniel Craig and we don't have a new one mm -hmm. yet. Um, there's a lot of problems and potential problems in <laughs> picking your next James Bond. Do any names come to mind when I ask you who it might be? I can't say either because you've heard people say or because you want or because you just predict. I feel like this is old news if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But and maybe he's too too old I'm putting in heavy scare quotes now. Right. But I know before it was Daniel Craig people were really pushing for Idris Elba. Exactly, right. So so you you've hit upon exactly the thing that I'm thinking about. Who I is, who who can you not love? Right. Is it for years and years now, people have wanted Idris Elba to be the next James Bond. But, uh, and this has happened before, this is like, I, I think kind of the reason why Clive Owen was never James Bond. He, mm -hmm. he aged out of it in the time 
that the current or previous Bond kept on being Bond. Mm-hmm. And we had Daniel Craig for so long. How many years now, did we have Daniel Craig? I mean, I was in high school when Casino Royale came out. Oh, God. I guess you're right. Yeah. So uh, the the problem is... Is Idris Elba too old to play James Bond? No. But is he too old to play James Bond for the number of years that Mm. one is supposed to play James Bond? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's the context. That's the problem. Here's another piece of context, which is not a problem. It could present a solution. Once upon a time... There was only one actor who had canonically played James Bond, and it Mm -hmm. was Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. And then they said goodbye to him Mm -hmm. and continued making James Bond movies. And who did they replace him with? An Australian Olympian named George Lazenby. (laughs) Right. Nobody remembers. In a movie called On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm Mm-hmm. Which turned out to be a one-off because people at the time didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So they brought back Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. He did one more. And then they replaced Sean Connery with Roger Moore, the guy who actually stuck and sort of became the official second James Bond. Mm-hmm. But in the middle there is George Lazenby in this movie that over the years... More and more people have grown to appreciate more and more and mm-hmm. say is actually good despite mm-hmm. what people thought at the time. So, for the fans who know this trivia and appreciate that movie, may, they would never do this because it because it would not be pro- probably not be long term smart for them financially. Yeah. But wouldn't it wouldn't a lot of people like it and wouldn't it be great if they were like, hey, we're intentionally doing a one off James Bond. Yeah. Idris Elba is the next James Bond. You only get one movie with him. Mm-hmm. And what else has changed in the intervening time? Feminism. <laughs> kind of the reverse of that. Oh, their queen died. Oh, right. And they yes. have a king now. Yes, that is the reverse of that. <laughs> so make the movie now with Idris Elba and you can call it On His Majesty's Secret Service <gasps> instead of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. The George Lazen be one off bond. Yes, that's true. That's goodwill. Well, I think it would be fun. Yeah. Um,. What they'll actually do is pick someone young, commit to him being the next James Bond for the next like 20 years. And it'll be someone who's like been in one or two things, but you've never heard of him. You don't know his name before. Mm. What uh, do you know who, who some people want them to pick? And he's not, he hasn't gotten too old yet. Oh the, my the God. Con- Daniel Radcliffe? <laughs> no. The shortest um, James Bond to ever no, grace the it screens? Is, it is someone who, like Idris Elba, is British but not white. Oh. Uh, Dev Patel? 
Correct. <laughs> oh, God. Please. Please give us Dev Patel, James Bond. Jesus Christ. Idris Elba, I'm sorry, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, have, you have just joined the co- dominant conversation about who will be the next James Bond <laughs> by, by saying those words. <laughs> oh, dear God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's if if I can't have the fun version where we get everything, at least give me the Dev Patel version. <laughs> Not I sure ex- if that's what we're going to get, but a lot of people are asking for it, so mm-hmm. it's a possibility. Man, that's good to know. Yeah, I love uh, Elise. Sort of talks about this in her book about Goldeneye sixty four, but um. There's something about the sexism in the Bond movies, not all of them, not every time, that where it's like, just kind of fun. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just like, kind of fun sexism. <laughs> right. Oh, man, there's little birds eating the berries on my tree, which I haven't actually seen them do before. That's fun for me. Oh, that's nice. Um, Great. Great thoughts, Will. Good idea. Thank you. Um, Anything else? Mm, nothing else has come to mind. Do you know what we're talking about today? I know what you told me a month or two ago you would want to do for your next topic. So if it is that, then I know. Say it. The last track on an album. So today, it's the last month of the year. Yep. And It's the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty twenty three. Uh yeah, right. That's what <laughs> I meant God. too. Guys, is Will breaking up with me? <laughs> um and What's that thing I'm still mad I I wanna make a joke like I'm still mad about, but I I can't remember what I'm supposed to be still mad about. We were we were just joking last month or the month before about like we'll break up over this. Oh, it was that you don't string your cheese. Oh, right. (laughs) We're mad about that. I'm still, I mean, yeah, because only psychotic people don't string their string cheese. Thank you for remembering that. (laughs) How could I forget this great injustice? Okay, sorry, I I, I cut off your setup. No, that's fine. I'm always willing to criticize you for the way you eat cheese. Um, Yeah. So I feel, feel like this is something I've sort of been machinating over because... I, I know you hate Spotify, but on my Spotify wrapped this year, one of the things that they did was um, assess the way that you listen to music and mm-hmm. give you a little card, you know, mm-hmm. slide about that. Kenny got something called um, Vampire, where he listens to um, like a wide range of tracks. Um, I got... I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to say, I also got Vampire. I... Don't use Spotify, but <laughs> I, in the past year, have used it just a little bit, uh-huh. which was which was enough to get a wrapped. That's funny. And I was identified as a vampire. I got um, one that basically says I listen to albums from the beginning to the end. Oh. Um, which is true. I, for the most part, will um, listen to music um you know if there's an album i put it on at the first song you know for a long time like um letters or uh without me without them was one of my like top played songs purely because i um kept playing the start of that album and then more often than not would get like a call or something and have to pause it right um 
I really do like I like the construct of an album. I like the idea mm-hmm. of um an arc or a emotional story that's told. Um I think that transitions between songs um even if there isn't like a physical transition but sort of moving from one place to another on an album is like an interesting thing to think about. And in part I think about it a lot because it's sort of the closest um, parallel media to a book of poetry mm-hmm. so in the sense that like the way that you order poems um, in a book is going to have the same sort of like emotional sort of e- even though each poem is own unit emotional rise and fall or narrative rise and fall in the same way that you would get on an album. And I was thinking about this because a lot of the best songs on albums are the last song. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like it ends up being a lot of the time the song that's played as the last song in the set list um, Mm. when you're seeing a band live. Um, And it's very usually because of the fact that that song has been constructed in such a way to be the last song of the album, it translates into a concert experience. Mm. But I think that last songs are also very often flubbed and end up coming off as weak. Mm. Um, And I also think that there's like a sort of last song that's like not a last song, if that makes sense. It's more like an Mm -hmm. outro. And I also think that... um, you know, Kenny also brought up the whole fact that there are, like, secret hidden last songs, too. Yes. And then we'll also talk briefly about Taylor Swift. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> and what, sure. what Taylor Swift, you know, being a content machine, which, which I don't mean as, like, I just mean, like, the volume of Taylor Swift material out there is, like, unheard of. Yeah. Um, From one artist. And, I mean, granted, she's, like, hy- hypothetically the most popular musician in the world right now, you know, by a couple of different scales. Um, but, you know, she also has like this library that's like so extensive. You can just go, you can dive in and never come out. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you is, do you have a song that's the last song on an album that, uh, is a particular favorite? I have anticipated this question and I have spent the past month or two occasionally thinking about this. Mm-hmm. And I've taken a little bit of an inventory of my some of my favorite albums mm-hmm. and trying to yeah evaluate them on this particular criterion of that last track. And I would say uh, with a limited pool of data, mm-hmm. the um, sort of conclusion or, or maybe it's only a hypothesis that I have is that like nine times out of ten, I don't have a special relationship with the last track on the album. Interesting. Um, it's um, tends to be not one of the stronger or, or more memorable parts, um, mm-hmm. but there are some notable exceptions. Um, I first of all, I like part of me wants to like save this to the end of my remarks but mm-hmm. but i but at the same time i feel like it's so big that i just like i have to acknowledge it yeah now before i can talk about anything else there's an album that you know one thing you can say about it is that it ends really really strong mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. 
that's only one thing you can say about it. One of very, very many because the album I'm thinking of is the greatest album of all time. And it's, and which is a very boring opinion to have. Yeah. I'm talking about In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by yes. Neutral Milk Hotel. I was going to bring that up too, yeah. Which ends with Two-Headed Boy Part 2. Uh-huh. The reason I couldn't decide whether I was saving it for the end or, or, or whether I just had to get it out now is because, like, my point is, what can what can be said? Mm-hmm. What, like, what, what, can, what can I say about <laughs> this... This thing that, like, if you if you were born when I was born, and you look like me, uh-huh. there's sort of a consensus <laughs> that, that, this, <laughs> that this album is a big deal. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. And and two headed boy. Both part one and part two have always been sort of like the high points for me mm-hmm. in those songs like resonating with me emotionally and musically Mm -hmm. and so to have the album just sort of like validate that and just like to end the album but just by like coming back to like melodically like the high point from earlier in the album um and just those like final lyrics are like that you know they're like etch that on my tombstone yeah stuff you know do you want me to pass it back to you or do you want me to tell you other examples? No, I tell me other of. examples because I'm going to I'm gonna talk sort of about the way that I'm categorizing these. And so I think it's good to just sort of get our uh, mm-hmm. get okay, our, so our feelings out. <laughs> one, one, of, one of my one of my favorite albums since I listened to it a lot in 2011 is the album Fantasies by Metric. Oh, and the last track on Fantasies is Stadium Love. Do you know the song Stadium Love I don't. by Metric? Oh, well, you I've, should listen to it. It's I've great. dabbled. <laughs> I've dabbled in Metric. Um, we were, before we started recording, Liz and I were just talking about the Scott Pilgrim anime. Yes. Um, a lot of people, I think, including me, um, first heard of Metric because of their song Black Sheep being in the Scott Pilgrim movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was obviously obsessed with that movie and, um, I did, I think I learned this from hearing Edgar Wright in a commentary or interview. And he said like, yeah, we needed a song for the band in the movie Clash of Demon had to play, you know, it was obviously fronted by Brie Larson's character you know, Metric uh, seemed like the perfect sound for this. We contacted Metric. They agreed to give us this song, Black Sheep, which they had already written, mm-hmm. but never released. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they gave was that they felt like it sound- They wrote the song, performed it, and felt like it sounded like a parody of a Metric song. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and 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 it's really funny because for so many of their fans like me It's the first song they heard. That song became a gateway to liking their songs. <laughs> Have you seen Brie Larson performing that song on an acoustic guitar? I don't recall seeing that. There's a video of Brie Larson from the past 5 years I want to say, maybe it oh. was like pandemic times. 
where she plays um, at least part of that song on guitar. Yeah. Um, so she's also playing guitar, which is cool. But she's wearing a sweater. I think she's wearing the Princess Diana sweater. Huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's a, for if you don't, if you're listening and you don't, there's a sweater that Princess Diana wore that had sheep on them and there was one black sheep and it was a real, mm. a real way to communicate uh-huh. something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't but imagine what. I think if it's not the exact same sweater, mm-hmm. Brie Larson is wearing a sweater that has like a black sheep on it in the yes. video. And that's, that song's called Black Sheep. Yeah. But that's uh, from a movie, and it's not the last track on the soundtrack to yes. the movie. I know because I've listened to that soundtrack many, many <laughs> times. Um, but I'm talking about Stadium Love is the name of the last track on Metric's album Fantasies, which is a really, really fun song and a great way to end an album. Um, that's an example of... You were talking about how Spotify identified you as you, it's special that you listen to albums all mm-hmm. the way through. Fantasies is an is an album that I will listen to all the way through. I've done it many times. Yeah, which is not and, usual for you. And yeah, which is yeah, it like historically there have been lots of times when I have listened to lots of albums that way and I have a special relationship which nostalgia is tied into with specific albums that are like the ones that I would listen to on my old MP3 player and I would listen to the entire thing and I might do that several days in a row, Mm -hmm. you know? For years, more recently, it has become much more unusual for me to listen to entire albums. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, In the Airplane Over the Sea, that's the GOAT. Yeah. Fantasies by Metric is like a good solid example of an album that I listened to all the way through. I would do it again today. I think it's a great album. Stadium Love is a great last track. The uh, chorus goes, no one's getting out without Stadium Love, which Uh is just sort of a fun, like it should be the last track because it's like... You're you are not done listening to this album until you've listened to Stadium Love. And it's all about um I mean, who knows what it's about? I don't really <laughs> it it just sounds like a fun thing to me. I don't Yeah. What if it's supposed to be about anything like metaphorically, I don't know. On the surface level, it sounds like what it's about is watching animals fight each other. <laughs> Uh, every it, it goes every living every living thing pushed into the ring, mm-hmm. fight it out to wow the crowd. Guess you thought you could just watch. No one's getting out without <laughs> stadium love. Um, and and the verses have lyrics like uh, just saying like owl versus dove, like <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, so okay, moving on. Um. I actually have a similar... How long is that song, I have to ask? Stadium Love? Yeah. I think it's long-ish, but not exceptionally long. I'll look it up now. I ask because... Well, I think this is a good, like, sort of segue into the first sort of thing that I think a last track does, which is that Mm. I found that a lot of last tracks, one of the genres... Well, this is sort of a side note, but one of the genres I found for last tracks is ones that feel really triumphant, and it sounds like the song Uh you're describing is, like, in that triumphant. Triumphant is a good word for it, yes. And because of that, I found that a lot of the triumphant songs end up being longer, or at least, Mm. um, 
you know, a really solid. But I feel like in general, when you're looking at last songs, they're either really short or like quite long. Right. So I'm looking at the track list for fantasies and Stadium Love is what looks to be average length for the tracks on the album. It is four minutes and 13 seconds. But But it it does have kind of... I think I remember it having kind of like a long fade out mm, okay. at the end, which makes it feel longer than it actually is. And I'm also thinking that even even if it's that's not even if that's about how long the other songs in the album are, that's still mm-hmm. a more for more than three minute three and a half minute long song. Uh, which I yeah. think that three and a half minutes is really like the average length for a right. song. And, and if you don't mind, this is a good transition into. I was going to bring up the mountain goats. Oh yeah. So, uh, as you know, last year we got a record player. Yes. And I've been building our record collection. Uh, and uh, recently, I was sort of doing an inventory of mountain goats albums that's the second time i've said i was doing an inventory just a (laughs) phrase i've become fond of Mm -hmm. um i was sort of reassessing various mountain goats albums trying to determine did i have a favorite and are any of them in my mind all killer no filler Mm -hmm. no skips no, no skips right and and ideally if i buy something on vinyl it'll be something that I think is no skips. Mm -hmm. And I had sort of a reason for doing this because I sort of already knew when I started that I love the Mountain Goats, but there's plenty of Mountain Goats album tracks that are skips for me. Mm -hmm. And Though another band that's got a library that's so wide-ranging that it's like, how could... A lot of output over many, many years. Yeah. So I want to bring up two recent, pretty recent Mountain Goats records. Mm -hmm. And one of them is called Bleed Out. And the other one is called Getting Into Knives. And Bleed Out is the one that I decided to add to my record collection. Mm -hmm. Because I decided that it was no skips. Mm. Um. And uh, my favorite track on that record is called Guys on Every Corner. Mm-hmm. And it's about having guys on every corner. <laughs> Classic. Um, but the last track on Bleed Out is an example of something that you were saying, mm-hmm. which is it is uh, exceptionally long. And I'm looking up how long it is now. It is seven minutes long. Okay, yeah. And it is called Bleed Out. Yeah. It is, it is the title track on Bleed Out. And it is all about how the main character is bleeding out and going <laughs> to die. And going to die. Um, now, uh, that shares something in common with Getting Into Knives. Uh-huh. Getting Into Knives is the name of an album from a few years ago. And the last track on Getting Into Knives is also the title track. Just yes. like Bleed Out. The last track is uh-huh. Getting Into Knives. The difference between these two two albums is I like the song Getting Into Knives way more than I like the song Bleed Out mm-hmm. or, in fact, any song on the album Bleed Out. Oh, interesting. However, 
I would not pick up the album Getting Into Knives uh-huh. because I th- it has more skips for me mm. and it's more imbalanced. That song is one of my favorite songs. The, the album doesn't have that many other tracks mm-hmm. uh, that I want to listen to over and over. So I... I I think you probably mainly want to talk about what makes some what makes something a great last track because mm-hmm. it's like well this whole album is better because this la- this is the last track. Yeah, getting I- into knives is something else where it's like getting into knives the song is basically the only song I want to listen to off that album. It happens to be the last track. Yeah, in addition to being the final one. But I, I'd have to imagine, too, because I think part of what I'm thinking about, too, is there's a bunch of albums where I think the whole album is perfect, and then the last song is, like, bad. Yeah, right. I'm sure you want to talk about that as well. Um, if you if you want to know what, what Getting Into Knives is like as a song... Oh, yes. Um, I wouldn't call it triumphant. It is, you know, classic example of a trick that John Darnielle has pulled many times over the years. Um... Just like No Children is a song mm-hmm. that sounds really triumphant and bombastic and it's great fun to sing along with. Mm-hmm. And the trick is the content of the lyrics that you're singing along with are extremely bleak. Yeah, the saddest thing you've ever considered. Yeah. <laughs> Getting into knives doesn't sound triumphant and bombastic. It sounds if you were just listening to the melody if you were listening to him sing, but you didn't understand the words mm-hmm. he was saying, it sounds quite melancholy, but in a pleasant sort of way. Yeah. And if you couldn't understand the words, I think you might guess it was like an achingly sincere love song. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the content of the lyrics, it is about a guy who is out for revenge <laughs> and getting into knives. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Uh, and yeah, I you know, I'm a real sucker for that, you know, tonal dissonance. dissonance. And I'm a real sucker for this kind of very even paced delivery mm-hmm. of saying some very threatening things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the best the best lyric in the song. And I feel I have to admit I feel a little self-conscious saying this. Mm-hmm. I, I, in general, I just feel self-conscious in a way that I'm sure you mustn't. <laughs> Telling you, uh, like what my favorite lyrics are, because you're because you're a poet through and through. Thank you. And you will make conversation just by saying like, "This poet is incredible." List and you just rattle some lines off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, one, you've memorized it, which is a <laughs> lot easier to do with song lyrics than it is with lines from actual poems. Uh-huh. But another thing is that, like, I hesitate to do that sort of thing because in my mind, I'm thinking the the power of this thing that I'm going to recite mm-hmm. is like so much based on context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. just like ripping it out of its context. And I'm going to say like, listen to this incredible thing. And it's going to sound like kind of basically nothing. To yeah. You. Um, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway, despite being self-conscious about it. The, the lyrics in getting the knives that are so special is when he says, 
you can't give me back what you've taken, but you can give me something that's almost as good. Oh, no, that's really good, Will. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like goosebumps. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's, you have to listen to it. It's so, it's so rich. I do plan after we're done recording this to go and make a, which as a side note about Spotify, the reason I specifically use Spotify is because um, I listen to music so much at work. And for mm. a long time, I used to literally bring my iPod into work and I would be listening to my iPod and my coworkers would come over and go, why do you have two phones? And I'd say, mm-hmm. this is an iPod. And they'd say, why do you have an iPod? Right. <laughs> but during the pandemic, that became not useful. Mm-hmm. And my my iPod also lived, now just lives in my car where I used to take it in and out. Um, and it's also now very old. It's like 10 years old now. So it's just going to live in my car until my car dies um but when i'm working it's like not practical for me to like have my headphones plugged into my laptop Mm. um so i just have it plugged into my computer (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then also if i get a call or something um but i also want to say because i think that this is important for almost all of the music that i listen to if i really love it um not if i'm just sort of casually listening to it i buy the album and have mm-hmm. either a vinyl copy or a digital copy. Um, and the Spotify listening is like a bonus to mm-hmm. the fact that I own a physical copy of some sort. I see. Yeah. Or and, a, and No, go ahead. Oh, or go a ahead. you know digital copy that is like 100% right. mine and can't be taken away. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, of course, under no circumstances. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas my alternative to this is... Um, Instead of using Spotify, I pay for YouTube Premium. Right, yes. And I have just, uh, uh, for years, I've used the YouTube app to listen to music. Uh, In just the last few months, I have started using the YouTube Music app. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which is a separate additional thing, which, you know, you're signed into the same account. Mm -hmm. It's sort of just like you're listening to YouTube. Um, except, uh, it will just play the songs. Um, Mm -hmm. you have the option to like toggle to watching the video, but Mm -hmm. that's not standard. And it has all my playlists that I've created using YouTube and, and, and the other reason I started using it is because I think starting in the new year, I'm, it's going to be sort of my default app for podcasts. Ah, Okay. I was using Stitcher Premium, and that went away this past year. Oh, I'm sorry. Rest in peace. Yeah, RIP Stitcher Premium. So I started using Google Podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have a a Google phone uh, as opposed to an iPhone. And um, Google Podcasts is going away in in the (laughs) new year. And they they are encouraging users to use the YouTube Music app uh, Mm. for their podcast. So I guess I will try that. Okay, good. That's interesting. Oh, what I wanted to say. Another, so there was a time when I was very into like Canadian indie. Uh-huh. And that was in about like right before um, and sort of ending almost with Scott Pilgrim. So I had heard of Metric mm. before. Um, uh, yeah. You also introduced me to Stars. Um, mm. If When there's nothing left to burn, you've got to set yourself on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, which did I... Do you know the story about Sarah's tattoo with that? Uh, I think I did, but I can't remember. So you know how she has the tattoo of the flame? Yeah. On her wrist? Yeah. 
And why you know why she has that tattoo? Remind me, please. Because of when there's nothing left to burn, you've got to set yourself on fire. Okay, yeah. Which is what a man says at the beginning of the song, your ex-lover is dead. Yes. And it is clearly a sample of some kind. No, it's not. Isn't it? Okay, so Will, I've looked into this because I thought it sounds like a sample. Let me go back. Will is right. It clearly sounds like a sample, but it's not. I think okay. it's they recorded it specifically for that song. Mm, okay. Um, but it sounds like a. It sounds like they just cut something and put it at the beginning of the song for sure, because it's like a. Ma- it's like an old man. It's not. And I think if you look it up on Wikipedia, I think they do actually say who it is, but I forget who it is now. Um, Sarah got this tattoo of a flame mm-hmm. on her wrist. If and one day I thought to myself. I've always loved the band Stars. I've only listened to a couple of their songs. I should listen to their full album. What's the name of the album that Your Ex-Lover Is Dead is on? And it's an album, I believe, called Your Ex-Lover Is Dead. Or maybe it's called Nothing Left to Burn. Let me actually look at this really quick. I thought it was called Set Yourself on Fire. It's called Set Yourself on Fire. That's what it's called. The album art for Set Yourself on Fire, Will, have you ever seen it before? I, I'm sure I have, but I don't recall it. There's a bunch of text. And there's a, ha- a line drawing of a hand. Mm, yeah. And on the line drawing of a hand is a flame oh, on yeah, the person's uh-huh. wrist. Right. Sarah had never seen this before. Oh, yeah. And mm. neither had I. And when I showed her, she was like, oh, that's weird. Because it's like almost the same. It's not the exact same flame, but it's almost the exact same. Uh-huh. Um, and then even forgot about it. And I brought it up again recently. And she was like, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. uh, just a sort of insane coincidence like uh-huh um but the big band that i loved was called which i'm sure you know broken social scene also appearing on the scott pilgrim soundtrack yes what was on the scott pilgrim soundtrack from broken social scene oh i can't believe you don't remember is it you, seven, I, is it anthems yes it okay is. it's anthems anthems for a 17 yeah. year old girl the and best it, song well and you know like what you see in the movie when it when you start to hear it oh it's it's nice yeah it's like a devastating shot of knives oh that's (laughs) right i I remember you making a big deal about this because you knew the song yeah and you were like she is a 17 year old girl this is so perfect it's so perfect i cried oh man i cried when that happened i i think i've told you and i know we've talked about it um when that when we saw that movie i um did not know what I was getting into. I just liked Michael Sarah. Uh-huh. And Kenny and I went in and I suddenly was like, oh, this is like very special. And then like they played the fairy fountain theme, which, you mm-hmm. know, everybody knows the fairy fountain theme. If you play any Zelda, that's normal. But that song, you know, is the song that Kenny and I eventually like walked out down the aisle to. Right. It was my friend playing the fairy fountain theme on harp. Uh, shout out, Kristen. Uh, you were there. Um, mm-hmm. And then... And then when the anthems thing came up, I just remember, now that I'm remembering what's happening, I just remember just weeping and looking over at Kenny and being like, but then also it makes sense because they're also Canadian in the the movie. Yes, right. But Broken Social Scene put out a self-titled in 2005. And the last song on that album, which is a very special album, um, it came out at the same time as an EP that they had they sort of did like two little separate things um that song also that album also has um seven fourth shoreline on it which is a song that's in seven four time yes 
um, which is special. Um, but the last song on the album is called It's All Gonna Break. It's another song that I think is about nothing. Mm. <laughs> and I will say one of my criticisms of Broken Social Scene over time is like, with the exception of a song like Anthems for a 17-year-old girl, I thought, oh, I'm not smart enough to understand what this means. And then mm. I listened to it when I got older and I said, no, it just means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it's All Gonna Break is nine minutes and 55 seconds long. Uh-huh. And it is another, it is another very triumphant song where um, – it has like three acts almost where the first act is like them singing the song and the sort of chorus over and over again is like, um, he'll sing like, and it's all gonna break. But then like every time he repeats it, he does it like sometimes he'll draw it out really long where he'll be like, it's all, all gonna break. And then like, you know, the drums come in really hard. Mm -hmm. And that has a whole center section that's, like, uh, really slow and sort of, like, um, ambient. And he is just singing, why are you always fucking ghosts? Mm. Um, over and over again. And then it goes back to the chorus. And the, it's all gonna break. And that's a song where it's, like, so fun to sing. It's got this sort of, like, arc because it has, like, multiple sort of acts to it where it gets slower but then, you know, comes back and is really strong. And that song was like, oh, this is like the epitome for a long time. That was like the epitome of a last song on an album. Because it wasn't, it was using like, it was like, this is the last song. It's going to be 10 minutes long, basically. Um, we're going to just put everything into the song. You know, Broken Social Scene is also a band that has like, would have like 17 members sometimes. And so right. this is a song where, like, every single person is singing. Every single instrument is being played. Right. And so it made sense to have a, a really long song. Um, I think the alternative to that is a song that we've already talked about on this podcast, um, where it's just as triumphant, but it's actually quite a short song, mm. um, which is Head Club by Taking Back Sunday. Hmm. Um, which is, let me just, I mean, all of the songs on that album are not particularly long, um, because it's like a 30 minute album altogether and it's, uh, 10 songs. Mm -hmm. Um, but that song, as I, you know, as we've discussed before, is this culmination where both they're singing it around. So that makes it triumphant, right? They have people singing that don't normally sing because the other people are singing um, along with it. And yeah, that song is, oh, that song's actually, I actually thought the song was shorter than his. But yeah, that song is like three minutes flat. Mm. Um, and most of the other songs on the album are closer to three and a half minutes. Um, and uh, it ends with, John Nolan, as I've discussed many times, but I'm going to bring it up again, saying, uh, don't call my name out your window, I'm leaving. And then he left the band. <laughs> mm. So it ends up being a song that's triumphant for that reason. Other triumphant songs that I wanted to bring up um, are uh, I Know the End by Phoebe Bridgers. Right. Which she specifically, I've seen her talk. I mean, obviously, I think everybody thinks about the orders of their songs and stuff like that, but... 
I think that she specifically wanted a song that ended with screaming because she wanted mm-hmm. the last song on the album to be something that was this like big sort of like screaming release. Right. And that's another song that really takes up space in terms of time. Um because it's got two parts. It's got the beginning part where she's sort of singing normally mm-hmm. before it transitions into everybody playing all of their instruments and then eventually, you know, screaming into the oblivion. And it gets you to the same place that it's all going to break um can get you because it's like starts everybody sort of like coming together in like a quiet moment you know knowing that this is the last song and then just ends with everybody participating in like the big scream at the end and Mm -hmm. yeah that song is again it's on the longer side it's not 10 minutes but it's five minutes and 44 seconds long whereas like every like the second longest song on the album is a full minute shorter Mm -hmm. um also in a sweater poorly knit by um me without you from brother sister do you know you know that song right yes um, that song is, that whole album is like, I mean, I will say I, I find trouble finding a song I don't like by me without you. They're part of the reason that they're one of my favorite bands is because, um, every one of their songs is so strong, but brother sister as like an album arc is particularly strong. That's when they started getting really, I think a little bit more leaning into their like folk roots a little bit more than they even did in, um, uh, Oh my god, what's the album before Brother Sister? The album before Brother Sister. Um, Catch for Us the Foxes. Um, mm. And they have these weird little interludes about spiders. And there is a spider interlude so that are very quiet. And like Aaron's almost like, you know, he when he's singing into the mic, it's like almost breathless. Like he's like the smallest little voice. And to, so to transition from that to... Um, in a sweater poorly knit is um, really strong because that is also a song where everybody's playing, everybody's on stage. And traditionally, like I've been to shows where they would just pull up people from the crowd. So like when I saw them play in, I want to say 2007, I saw them play at Messiah College and my friend Justin Raja was there, who's who was at the time the mandolin player in my favorite beam, band Roof Beams, um, mm-hmm. now is a screen printer for a company called Fennec Design that I wear a lot of clothes from and buy gifts from a lot because they're really good um, with his wife, Joelle. Um, like he was like, I was like at the show and all of a sudden I'm like, there's Justin because <laughs> mm-hmm. he was just on stage. Um, it was the last song they played for their last show ever, and they brought on, like, every child, every wife, every husband, every, you know, important producer to them. Um, and it has the line in it, um, that is, like, you know, this band is, like, sort of a religious, I mean, they are, they're not, like, a religious band. They are a band that talks about religion a lot. And at the very first song of that album... The first long line Aaron Weiss sings is, I do not exist. I playfully mm-hmm. insist. And it ends with him singing, I do not exist. Only you exist. I do not exist. Over and over again. And so that also brings me to the idea that, like, sometimes I think really good last songs pull back from the very beginning of an album all the way to the end. And I think that with that song in particular, too, um, it's so the lyrics are also like I feel like for a lot of last songs like I almost don't care what the actual lyrics are a lot of the time it's like usually one line that sticks out 
And that song in particular, the I Do Not Exist, really sticks out. But otherwise, he's talking about, like, bounty. Like, he's talking about, like, food and, you know, light and light and dark as honeydew and pumpernickel bread. Um, and so it's also just such a, like, lush song lyrically. Like, you feel it really feel like you're in, like, abundance and harvest almost. Mm-hmm. Um, a really perfect, triumphant last song. And yeah. then the other two I want to bring up though not as um, long, is Kenny wanted me, said that I absolutely have to bring up We're Not Gonna Take It by The Who. Okay. Because that's the last song on Tommy. Uh-huh. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I think we're all familiar with We're Not Gonna Take It. But yeah, to end Tommy, the musical with that song, is like, what a what a send-off. Yeah. And then this will transition into the second sort of song I want to talk about, which is... Um, What's what's the bet last song on Alligator Alligator by the National? I knew you were going to bring this up. So so when when I characterize the difference between you and me, yeah, as your poet based willingness to be like, you know, I will tell you these amazing lyrics, this amazing line, mm-hmm. and me being like, I'm not sure if that works most of the time. I'm I'm remembering, you know. I think I learned about the national because of you. No, it was me. Yeah, I think so. I I think so. I'm so um, delighted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I, I mean maybe there was something else that like coincidentally yeah. was happening at the same time, but like I think I started listening to the national because I heard you talk about them, and I distinctly remember um, the end of alligators is Mr. November, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I distinctly remember you saying like, yeah, the, uh, the the National, their album Alligator, the last track, it's so amazing. It's just the lead singer repeating over and over, <laughs> I'm Mr. November, I won't fuck us over, I won't fuck us over, I'm Mr. November. And I'm sort of like not, you know, I'm, we're sitting in the writer's house living room and I'm nodding like, uh-huh, that, that sounds great, very cool. <laughs> and like, obviously... Later, I listened to it, and it is great, and it is very cool, and I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. But just hearing you say that yeah. refrain, it's like, well, that, that doesn't mean anything to me, really. Yeah. Yeah, the context, that song is so, um, it's, it's it's so tongue-in-cheek, which is funny because mm-hmm. then Obama ended up using it on his <laughs> campaign trail. Do you know that? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is also, ju- it's just like. I mean, I because he's talking about being the president in the song. So the fact that a presidential <laughs> candidate was like, I'm going to use the song. And I I feel, I mean, obviously the National did it. But like, <laughs> I feel like he almost like kind of missed the point. <laughs> well, yes. And and do you think that perhaps, look, I, I don't know the timeline of this to know yeah. well enough to know if this actually works out. Mm-hmm. But is the music video for Conversation 16 because of that oh that's so funny is it in response to that happening i mean conversations so i i do know alligator was out alligator came out not first it wasn't their first album but that came out and then boxer came out when i was the first of their good albums yeah (laughs) yeah it is and then boxer came out my the week i graduated from high school Mm -hmm. and then high violet came out in May of my junior year because I listened to it right when it came out when I was having knee surgery. 
Right, which helps explain why that's my favorite national album because yes. it was it was the first one to be new. Yeah. By the time I heard of them. Yeah. My my introduction to them was listening to Alligator and Boxer, which were their two most recent albums. Mm-hmm. And then High Violet came out and it had Blood Buzz Ohio and it had Conversation 16 and yeah. it became my favorite easily. I um I This is related also, which is that, like, I think that... And and the last track on um, uh, that album is is Vanderlyle, right? Yes, which is is, also what I wanted to bring up. (laughs) Right, which is where we get our our tagline from. Um, Yeah, I think that part of what I loved so much about The National is I loved how they could... There was, like, urgency to what they were singing and, like, you would get Mm -hmm. songs. Like, not every song had to be, like desperate or something like that but there was a real Mm -hmm. urgency like mr november and there was a real urgency on alligator boxer and high violet um Mm -hmm. that i felt like fell off for me after that and so i've really had a hard time like i couldn't tell you very much about any of the albums after high violet um which says a lot for a band that i really really listened to very intensely for a very long time yeah i think I, i would stick up for trouble will find me that song uh, in particular, I, I liked I, I meant, best. Yeah, I meant the album. And that um, album I liked better, but it was still hard for me to like. What was I, the one I, after High Violet with the girl's face in the mirror? That is Trouble Will Find Me. That is Trouble Will Find Me? I, I'm pretty sure. Oh. I'm going to look it up to confirm. I liked right that now. particular song, and I didn't mind that album, but I kept waiting for him to get like amped up again and he never did but, and i was like Ugh. but before i google this i i have to i have to be able to do this from memory in oh, order yeah. to defend what i'm saying oh yeah trouble will find me has don't swallow the cap yes it has sea of love mm-hmm. it has pink rabbits which which oh, i yeah. think is great but is not like a favorite of um the common man i don't know what i'm saying um (laughs) trouble will find yeah trouble will find me is the one with the uh cover image you were recalling yeah oh it it has i need my girl i remember when when i saw the national live Mm -hmm. uh in new york maybe the main thing i remember about that show is that it was it was post high violet pre trouble will find me mm. and i remember they performed i need my girl and it was like here's a new song oh yeah and i remember that that was my first time hearing it and that was special yeah and i it's all those songs together i don't mind what is the last song on that album a hard to find which is uh that's a good last song for that album i i'm going to look I'm going to look up a word to make sure I know how to use it correctly. Okay. <laughs> and the word is denouement. Oh. The final uh, uh, Google dictionary defines denouement as the final part of a play, movie, or narrative in which the strands of the plot are drawn together and matters are explained or mm. resolved. The climax of a chain of events usually when something is decided or made clear. Now, that definition does not fit how what i've understood denouement to mean when i've heard <laughs> people use it uh-huh 
when I hear people say denouement, I, I just from context clues, I've always thought that they meant like there's a scene at the end mm-hmm. and it's almost like an epilogue. Mm. It, like I want, I, even though this might not be a great use of the word, I mm-hmm. I want to use the word denouement in this context, talking about final tracks mm-hmm. to mean maybe this is one of your categories and we haven't gotten to it yet, but I feel like it's a common phenomenon for the last track on the album not to be the triumphant bombastic thing of yes. the category you were just talking about, but to be a sort of, it almost sounds like a like a lullaby or something. Yes, yes. I, that was the next thing I was going to bring up, and I was going to bring it up specifically with the national. Okay, yeah, go for it. So yeah, I think that, um, and I, I think what you're saying too about it being sort of like a slower song, sometimes it's also like an acoustic song. Yes, right. But it's very it's sometimes a song that if it's not triumphant, it's very often like um totally outside of the genre of the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. So like the rest of the album is like this like highly polished produced uh, album and then the last right. song you can like hear the man's fingers sliding down the guitar strings. Right. Um on a acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that sometimes this works really, really effectively, and I have found more often than not, I will say that most of the triumphant songs that end albums, I think, are successful. Like, Mm -hmm. in general, if I'm looking at songs that have this triumphant feeling that I'm uh, attributing to them that end an album, very few of them fall flat for me. I'm Obviously, I'm speaking in great generalities, but I think overall, it's a successful method. I think it's riskier to put a slow song at the end because some of the slow songs are really you know, quite, um, like meaningful and soft and, you know, sort of feel like a quiet, like an epilogue to the rest Mm -hmm. of the album. And some of them are like so bad. So I think that a good, a band that can do both is the national because Mr. Mm -hmm. November is this really bombastic, great word that you brought up there. Triumphant song. Vanderlyle cry baby be geek is like very slow. Um, not meandering exactly, but like, it does have some sort of like, um, you know, rises in action where like all the music is sort of swelling. I feel like Vanderlyle Crybaby Geek ends with this sort of warm, sad, slow song that sums up the feelings of the album without sort of like going in some weird direction that feels like too saccharine or mm-hmm. the it's like ends up being sort of like sentimental in a way that is cliche. Right. Um Another band that I think has a really good and a really bad, sad song at the end is a band that we've talked about before at length, and that is brand new. Ah, yes. I <laughs> so this luckily, we don't have to talk about all of the nuance for brand new because right. I have a full episode on that. Been there, done um, that. But um, I do think that I will talk about the fact that when you get to the end of Deja and Tendu, you end... Um, with a really triumphant song and then move into Play Crack the Sky, which is literally just Jesse Lacey um, in a studio and his voice is getting layered. So obviously there's more production to it than that. But at the end of the song, you can hear him stand up and walk out of the door of the studio and sing a little uh, little riff of something. Mm-hmm. And 
It's never to see any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song is like, I think, quite strong. It's beautiful. It uses a lot of imagery. And it does feel different than um, the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. But I think that like lyrically, it's still very much in line with the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. And it's a song that is utilizing this form in a way like where he has like the sort of repetitions and the sort of round robin nature of it and the layering in a way that feels really special instead of um, something that just feels like, why is this happening? Why am I listening to it? Yeah. They tried to reproduce this on uh, The Devil and God and Raging Inside of Me, which I would say minus all the nuance is a no skips album except for the last song (laughs) that's funny yeah can it be a no skips album if i just stop it at the last song i'm not skipping a song i'm just never getting to it (laughs) well you're in in a sense you're skipping to the end i guess that's true (laughs) but that the last song in that album is archers which Mm -hmm. is you know again it's a song that has a sort of like feeling of like forward momentum it feels like you're rolling forward um and then you get handcuffs, which we know why this song is weak. I've discussed this for a long time. It's because Vinnie Accardi is bad at writing lyrics. God bless mm-hmm. him. But his lyrics are just cliche compared to Jesse. And so you get this song that feels like the lyric it's lyrically off from the rest of the album, which is because it was written by somebody else. Right. It's um got like some weird like things about killing babies. <laughs> Cool. Which, I, which I don't love. Uh-huh. Um, and it's trying to pull the same trick. It's trying to pull the same trick that they did on Deja. Yeah. Um, but because they just went with a song that was acoustic, that was slower, mm-hmm. instead of a song that was different from everything else on the album, but special in its own right, mm-hmm. it falls flat. Another, but I think that there's another person who has two albums where they do this really, really well. Hmm. And they failed the first time, but they did a good job the second time. And that is Olivia Rodrigo. Hmm. So Olivia Rodrigo's first album, Guts, or Sour, I loved. I loved Sour. I did not like the last song. (laughs) Hmm. The last song on um, Sour is, because Olivia Rodrigo is like a pop punk princess to me. She is so good. She's, um, you know, writing almost all these songs you know, she has, she's working with people, but like she's doing a lot of the writing herself, um, both from like a musical standpoint and from a lyrical standpoint. Um, she has a really good way of being really sharp and cutting about these experiences, which are often written off by adults as being like sort of frivolous. Um, she acknowledges the fact of her youth, if that makes sense. Like she's acknowledging that her youth is part of what's playing in here, but is basically saying you still have to, that doesn't mean you shouldn't take me seriously. Mm-hmm. And then the last, so that's, that album is, you know, famously about this breakup that she experienced. And in many ways, part of what makes the album good is because she's saying, like, I know that these feelings aren't necessarily logical, but that doesn't mean I'm not having them. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with this song called Hope You're Okay, which in which she sort of like narratively, like each verse sort of narratively recalls somebody that she knew at one point and she hopes that they're, she hopes that they're doing okay. And, like, one person is, like, a kid who was gay, basically, and his parents rejected him. And it's just, like, 
I don't know. I think it's a little bit too sentimental. It doesn't have the same level of um, like genuine. It feels disingenuous to me compared to the rest of the album. Because the rest, like, she's basically saying like, hey, your parents rejected you because you're gay. Like, I hope you're doing okay because that's not your fault. And it's like, Ah, uh, why are you talking about these other people? This album has been so centered around you. I feel like she, she, I feel like she very much wanted to have this closing song in an album, which was slower, which was, um, more retrospective and for some reason shifted the focus away from her own emotions to just like people she used to know, mm-hmm. um, and not even the relationship that she was part of. And it, I don't think it works. I think it completely falls flat and falls mm. apart. I think it's cliche. I don't think it's mm. particularly interesting. Um, and I, again, I'm a huge fan of, of Olivia. Yeah. Okay. So now let's look at her second album that just came out, Guts. Mm-hmm. She has a song on that ends that album, which in many ways is doing the same thing. It's a slower song. It's um, more retrospective. Um it's more of like a ballad. She's being very like uh, thoughtful about the way she's saying each and every one of her words. But she does something really clever, which um, I wanted to bring bring up also with Neutral Milk Hotel and also with a couple of other songs. So this is a good segue into that, which is that she brings up something from earlier and brings it into the end as mm. sort of a reprise. But what's particularly interesting about this song is this song is called Teenage Dream. Hmm. And it's about her. It does focus on her. It focuses on what she's sort of been working through on the album. And that album, Guts in particular, is about, you know, sort of being, you know, 19 or 20 and 21 and being like really messy in your relationships where you know that you want to like party and hang out with friends. Um, You want to be with somebody even though they're like bad for you. Like Get Him Back is like the ultimate song about like... um the dissonance you feel about being in a relationship with somebody who's like not great, but you still want to get back with him so that you can enact revenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this last song has the line in it, which is like, Oh, let me make, make sure I actually get it correct. But so to go back, this isn't just going back to the first song of her album. It's going back to the first song of her first album. Mm-hmm. Because in Brutal, which is just straight up a punk song, by the way, this is the other reason I love Olivia Rodrigo. Um, she says, um, where's my fucking teenage dream? Like, mm-hmm. she says, I'm so sick of 17. Where's my fucking teenage dream? Like, why does she, why doesn't she get to experience uh, a teenage, the teenage dream, like the dream of being youth, which is also referencing, do you know what that's referencing? Katy Perry. Katy Perry, right. which was Teenage Dream was the lead single off of her album of the same name, which many people believe to be sort of like a pop masterpiece. Uh-huh. And so to have a song herself that's a totally different genre, because Teenage Dream by Katy Perry is like the the course that is you make me feel like I'm living in a teenage dream the way you turn me on. Like the idea is that you're in love with somebody as if you're in love for the first time in your life. Yes. One of the more memorable scenes in the show Glee is... When a homosexual boy performs <laughs> this song to another boy, uh, but also he does a very sad version of it. Oh, that's very funny. <laughs> I Have I told you that Glee is my Mandela effect? <laughs> How so? I need to know this. I 
remember, like I have memories of going into high school and having my people that I knew from like the music, musical department, not department, but like who were in the musical inquiry with me talking about Glee and being like, oh, do you think they're going to like do this next? Like it, I hated that phrasing. Like, are they going to do the Beatles? You know what I mean? Right. Well, that, that show, uh, was show came out in 2009. <laughs> until you were a junior in college. I yes. Yeah. But I have these, like, when I looked that up recently, I was like, no, mm-hmm. that can't be. Mm-hmm. I remember this. Yes. You're from, um, a, you're from a different universe. <laughs> um, the way that she ends with Teenage Dream is she says, she's talking about how she's afraid that her fame is limited to the fact of the novelty of her being so young. Mm-hmm. And so she says, I fear that they already got the best parts of me and I'm sorry that I couldn't always be your teenage dream. And then she says, my favorite lines were, they say it, they all say that it gets better. It gets better the more that you grow, which I think is also specifically referencing that like it gets better campaign mm-hmm. that was, I think, specifically focused towards like queer youth. But right. I think a lot of youth sort of took that to heart, like the idea that like, even though it sucks now, it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. And she takes this spin on it, which is like, it's very straightforward, but I've never heard about this. Like, normally when people are critical of that, they're like, it gets better. But does it? Because, like, policy is still really bad. There's still, like, terrible things happening in the world. And so she says, yeah, they say it all gets better, but what if I don't? Mm. And it's this really sort of devastating way to end this album, which has been very messy and very fun and, like... You know, I'm sleeping around, but it's a good time. Like, it's a bad idea that I go to sleep at this guy's house that I, you know, my friends are going to make fun of me because they know he's a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway because I just want to get laid. Like, and then to end it by saying, like, they say that it gets better, but what if I don't get better? Like, what if this is my peak? Mm -hmm. And what if I also stay in this place that is messy and that can't that i can't get my shit together like what if that's not a marker of my youth what if that's a marker of me as a person Mm -hmm. um so i think that she you know for somebody who like really flubbed it on the first one (laughs) right um Um, oh go ahead no did did you have the next thing you wanted to go into i do but we can wait well can i can i bring up an example of my own and i want to uh, fr- I think it would be funny to frame, you know, the meme where somebody says, you know, somebody looks at t- a binary thing and they say the two genders. Yes, my favorite. Right. It's very funny. Obviously, there's more than two, but um, uh, it's a meme and it's funny. And the two genders are you talking about Olivia Rodrigo as your example. And then me, my example of the same thing is Weezer. <laughs> yes. Were you going to uh, bring up Pinkerton? Yes. So so you're familiar with this? So actually, I've listened to Weezer, you know, on and off throughout the years. But I I asked my fans on Instagram. No, I just put up a little Instagram question poll and Mm -hmm. asked what's like the best song. I I never get that many responses to these things. But two out of the eight people that responded said Butterfly by on Pinkerton. That's really cool and interesting. Yeah. Um, Also uh, makes me... It kind of like listening to that blank check episode where I was like, damn, my <laughs> idea is other people have them. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, earlier I was saying that uh, historically there are some albums that I listen to a lot. I listen to mm-hmm. the entire thing. I have nostalgia wrapped up in them. 
Pinkerton is one of those albums. And mm-hmm. um, that was a recommendation from a friend of mine in high school. I sort of knew who Weezer was, but didn't really know any of their music. And Pinkerton was my entry point. And um, I, I didn't exactly stop there, but also mm-hmm. I didn't like go out and get more of their albums. So it wasn't until later that I realized the context for Pinkerton. Like I was told, listen to this album. It's great. When pe- when it came out, people hated it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then later I put it together what that meant. Mm. And do you know what I mean by this? No. So Pinkerton was Weezer's second album. Mm. Their first album was their self-titled which became known as the Blue Album. Because of them being standing on the cover and it being blue, yeah. I assume you've listened to the Blue Album. Yeah. And you know it has them singing Ooh You, I Look Just Like Buddy Holly and mm-hmm. You're Mary Tyler Moore. And it has a song <laughs> that is very silly but near and dear to my heart called In the Garage mm-hmm. where they sing about liking uh, Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride from the X-Men. <laughs> And uh, the the vibe that I get off of the Blue Album is uh, it's it's very uh, look at these cute boys. Oh, yeah, because this only also has Sweater Song on it. Yes. Which is my favorite song from that. If you want to destroy my sweater. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Whether they meant to broadcast this or not, the message I get from the Blue Album is, look at this band of cute boys who it's very safe to have a crush on. Mm -hmm. And then what's the first track on their second album? It's called Tired of Sex. Yeah. (laughs) And the lyrics start, I'm tired, so tired, I'm tired of having sex. (laughs) Uh, and uh, so naturally, <laughs> if, you, if you liked Weezer because you liked their first album, which at the time was their only album, mm-hmm. you might not like it when their second album seems to be repelling you on purpose uh-huh. with this grungy sound and lyrics that are very bitter. Mm-hmm. And then after an album full of that grungy, crunchy, electric sound, Mm -hmm. the last track on the album is Butterfly, which is acoustic and and really, really sad. Mm -hmm. And the album that started with the lyrics, I'm tired of having sex, ends with the lyrics i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) oh god i'll have to listen to this yeah i've heard like almost all these songs before but i don't think i've ever listened to the album and by the way pink triangles on pinkerton this reminds me i i have to like listen i've just broadcast you know no one listens to this obviously which is for the best but um i've I've, you're not no one goslings that are listening to this as we speak (laughs) It is pub. It is. Pu- I am recording this to be posted publicly. I'm broadcasting to the world, whether they listen or not, that Pinkerton is one of my favorite albums. 
I have to put a big asterisk on that. I know it is a problematic fave. You just oh, yeah, pointed, for sure. You just pointed out it has Pink Triangle. It also has Across the Sea. <laughs> yeah. Are you familiar with the song Across the Sea? Uh, I think so. Tell, to remind me to make sure I'm remembering it correctly. It's a song about having a fan letter from a Japanese teenager. Right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I'll just end it there. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> He does say, I need help in the lyrics. <laughs> he does. It is. And I think that, I, like, look, if I'm being honest, I think that that is what is redeemable about the song. Yeah. <laughs> he says, how does it go? It, he, he, he says, I would never touch you. I know it would be wrong. Yeah. You've got my, I've got your letter. You've got my song. I, I, I think it's catchy. Yeah. It also, in lyrics that I will not be reciting, pushes the boundaries of good taste. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk about in terms of sad songs is a band that I think pretty much nails sad songs and then has one song that will get us into our sort of like last category of end songs which is um arcade fire mm. um a new a newly problematic fave yes in, in, indeed yes <laughs> well and arcade fire was also when i was younger sort of um bound up in that same canadian indie scene like arcade fire and broken social scene were both bands that had like huge amount of members in them right and so it's not totally fair to say that arcade fire is problematic in the same way that like you might say brand new is because even though Brand New was comprised of... Comprised of? Technically not correct, but... Composed it, of four members. Sure. Made um, up of. <laughs> um, you know, Jesse Lacey was the heart and soul of that band because uh -huh. he wrote all the lyrics. Whereas with Neon Bible, or with Arcade Fire, even though we know now that Wynn Butler is kind of a piece of trash and cheated on his beautiful wife, Regine, many times... Um, that band is so large and Regine was also writing lyrics that like, eh, it's like, you can't just completely, you can't just completely say like, this is a problem, like the same way that you can with Brand New. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that um, In the Backseat is a perfect last song. It's about mm. um, somebody dying and um, Regine singing about liking being in the backseat where she doesn't have to have responsibility um, like the chorus is, you know, or the, the, the sort of refrain about in the backseat is I like the piece in the backseat. I don't have to drive. I don't have to speak. I can watch the countryside and I can fall asleep. Like the idea is that when you're in the backseat of a car, um, you sort of lack the agency or responsibility to have to do anything. And there's a peacefulness to that. Right. And then it, and <laughs> the song makes me cry. Like they're I'm, I've already put this on the list to be played at my funeral, um, the chorus is Alice died in the night. I've been learning to drive for my whole life. Right. So that that like that juxtaposition of like a sort of straightforward sentence with like more of a metaphor sentence is that's something that I'm really weak for. Yeah, this is the last track off of uh, their album Funeral. Yeah, this is the last one off of Funeral. And then the last song off of Neon Bible, which is also a very sad good last song, is My Body is a Cage. Yeah, I have. Do you always not like this song? I have always had a problem, which is that I do not like that song. 
I I can understand how you don't like that song. I think it is a good song. But I have I don't like the song. I the my problem with Arcade Fire is that I think that The Suburbs is actually their best album because I don't have any songs that I would skip on The Suburbs. I agree with you. That is by far my favorite Arcade Fire album. And Neon Bible and the and Funeral there's always there's like two or three songs that I'm like you guys got a little bit it's it feels like foreshadowing. Uh-huh. Because there's always two or three songs that I'm like, you guys are getting weird in a way that's like not good here. Like Neon Bible, I think is a terrible song. I would like, rather listen to the song Neon Bible than My Body Is a Cage. I would. I I, I disagree with you on that, but yeah, that's. I where just we, think it's where we differ. I think it's so like clomping and galumphing and like, um, but then you get. And that feels like foreshadowing because then they put out the suburbs, it wins album of the year. And then, and I know that you feel like some of the songs on their future albums are listening, listening. I can't listen to basically anything else they've put out after the suburbs. Like can't even like listen casually to it. And are you hearing the similarities in the way that we're talking about Arcade Fire and the way we talked about the national? Yeah. Like, uh, alligator, boxer, high Mm -hmm. violet, funeral, neon Bible, the suburbs. Yeah. Right. And the same time period too, actually. More or less, yeah. Yeah. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Th- there are some late uh, Arcade Fire tracks that I will go to bat for um, in the same way that there are national tracks mm-hmm. that, I'll, that I will go to bat for. But uh, I'm not going to put on any of those more recent albums before I put on High Violet or The Suburbs. Yeah. The Suburbs does, for their last track, a reprise. Yes, it's more of an outro. Yes. And I think that that is sort of, that leads us into sort of like the last category, which is that like last songs that are significantly sh- short mm-hmm. are more of a reprise of an earlier song. So it feels more like the end of a musical. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Two-Headed Boy does this too, but in a very, um, that actually feels more like the end of a musical than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. um, Two-Headed Boy's part two stands on its own as a song yes. m- more than just an outro reprise. Um, but it still is like doing this thing, which is like collecting everything from earlier mm-hmm. in the album. Right. And I feel like the suburbs continued the last song in the suburbs does that as well, where he's singing it in this sort of way where he sounds almost like he's on the radio or something like he's a little bit far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says like, if I could take it back all the time that we'd wasted, I'd only waste it again. Mm-hmm. And um, then sings my favorite line, I think on the whole album, which is like, sometimes I can't believe it. I'm, um, I say it's my favorite line. I'm not going to say it right. I'm moving past the feeling. I'm moving past the feeling. Right. Um, which I feel like is just like, you know, contextually quite beautiful. And, and I think it's really lovely to end the album that way. Yeah, totally. Another band that has sort of like an end track that is like very reprisal and very um, much like this is the last track because we're like moving out of the album. So it's like an outro is the name of the song. I'm not going to remember because it's too long, um, but it's the last <laughs> it's the last out song on Illinois. Mm. by Sufjan which is a is a longer song so it's mm-hmm. not short it doesn't fit into the short genre here which most of these do it's like a full length song but it's completely instrumental mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that 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 sort of choice to have these sort of like shorter, less interesting, um, like songs that maybe can't necessarily stand on their own, or if they do stand on their own, they're strengthened by the fact that the rest of the album came before it. Right. Um, is not always my favorite way to end it. Mm-hmm. But I think that I appreciate. I appreciate having something a little bit more, some a little bit more to say about something right. that maybe didn't fit in the first, like in mm-hmm. the first whole complete capsule of a song. Yeah, and bringing that in at the end specifically. Right, right. Yeah, I wanted to um, throw out another way of talking about this that is not one to one. Like, if you made a Venn diagram between mm-hmm. what you're talking about and what I'm talking about, it's not a perfect circle, but I think there's enough overlap to have them in the same conversation, which is like a phenomenon where the last track on the album is coming after like a, a bigger, more significant track. Oh, yeah. That makes you think like, well, the album could easily be over. Because Mm -hmm. we did the important business of Mm -hmm. doing that last track. But then we we actually need a different last track. And it's going to look small by comparison. Yeah. And it's kind of... Which is exactly what Brand New is doing with both of... It's kind of an off-ramp. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of... Like, you were talking about, like, comparing albums to you know, poetry collections or other media. It it reminds me of like, I think that there's a phenomenon in when you use a season of television for serialized storytelling. Mm -hmm. I first noticed this with seasons of Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. I was like, the, um, it's sort of like the, There's something so pivotal and important that happens towards the end of the season, but it's not in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what else was this way? Game of Thrones. Oh, oh, yeah. Kenny's talked to me about that. There are 10 episodes. If I remember this correctly, there are 10 episodes in season one of Game of Thrones. In which episode does Ned Stark die? Episode nine. It's Mm -hmm. not episode Mm -hmm. 10. So it's sort of like climax should come at the end Mm -hmm. you would think but climax isn't necessarily resolution Mm -hmm. so it's like the second to last thing is this big important epic climax but then there's still something more to come which is a resolution and that could be the last episode of the season of television or it could be the last track on your album And like, for example, one of my favorite albums, as I think you know, uh, is The Crane Wife by The Decemberists. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, I have this pulled up, Um, track one on The Crane Wife is called The Crane Wife 3. Track nine on The Crane Wife is called The Crane Wife 1 and 2. It is 11 minutes and 20 seconds long. Uh Uh-huh. And then that ain't the last track on the album. Then there's a track 10, Sons and Daughters. Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of a song that looks 
less significant by comparison. You know, another TV show that you and I have both watched that did this, but in a different way than I think you're describing with like Game of Thrones. What's that? Buffy. Uh Uh-huh. Season four ends with, you know, them bringing down the... What is it called? What are they? Not the Institute. The Initiative. The Initiative, yeah. Taking the Initiative. And then the last episode is that weird dream episode Mm -hmm. of the season. Yeah, one of the best, yeah. One of the best episodes, but like totally disconnected. That is an example of when I hear people say denouement, Mm -hmm. I think that's what they mean. Because it's like, wow, there's this other thing at the end. Mm -hmm. In addition to what you already got. The the ending you thought you had. Um, Maybe that's not technically what it means. So... I want to talk about the two times that knowing the last, what the last track is gets a little bit goofed. Mm. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is hidden tracks. And okay. yeah, this right. is, this has happened. I feel like this basically can't happen now, except it did just happen, but it can only happen in certain instances. So with Guts, the Olivia Rodrigo album, I'll just start there because we already talked about her. If you bought the vinyl of her album, there were four different extra songs, depending on which color of the album you got, that played Mm -hmm. significantly after the end of um, Teenage Dream. Mm -hmm. And those songs were not on Spotify. They were not on, um, you know, online. So, like, you had to buy the physical album to get them. And she actually just released a vinyl of just those four songs, um, which Sarah picked up at Record Store Day. Right. Um, That throws us for a loop a little bit right because then Mm -hmm. it becomes the question of like well what really is the last song Mm -hmm. the other really famous one is abbey road Mm. so you know abbey road the b-side of abbey road is sort of famously like the best b-side of an album like you have the first half which has you know come together and stuff like that more more traditional quote-unquote songs and then the b-side of abbey road are a bunch of smaller songs but they almost feel like one singular song Mm -hmm. um with the way that they move into each other Something that happens, I think, more regularly now, um, the sort of, like, fluidity between songs, but at the time was, like, one of the things my mom always says is that, like, it's not necessarily that the Beatles were the best band of all time. It's just that so much of what the Beatles did, they did first, or Mm -hmm. they were the first person to do it in a really popular way that people knew about. Right. Um, And this is one of those times. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you get to the end of the B-side of Abbey Road, and then there's silence, and then do you know what the hidden track on Abbey Road is? No. It's Her Majesty, which is just this little acoustic track that's like maybe mm. 45 seconds long. And it's like, mm-hmm. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Um, which is like such a silly fucking little song. Right. Um, that it almost feels like a cherry on top of this album instead of like a true last track. Mm-hmm. But you would be wrong to say that it's not the last track because it is the last thing you hear on the album. And it's not like there were different editions of things like the way they are now. Right. Um, oh, go ahead. I've got a new vinyl uh, which uh, has a hidden track on it. And and by new vinyl, I mean it's it's a, it, it's a recent yeah. uh, uh, output. Uh, one of my favorite bands, you've heard me talk about them before, Don't Stop or We'll Die. Yeah. Um, Paul Rust and Michael Cassidy. They uh, host a song a week podcast where they 
write and produce a song a week and uh they put out but they put out an album uh exclusively on vinyl oh interesting uh so i bought it and uh-huh. uh it has a it ends with a a song that is not on the printed track list and uh it it it's a uh somber little song that i guess i don't know the name of because it's not on the track list <laughs> but i assume it's called jeremiah uh-huh. and it goes like on the whisper of the wind i hear your name jeremiah and that's like repeated and then it sort of as a bridge for the song there is a spoken word portion uh which i think is the voice of Mike Mitchell, who is not in the band, but mm-hmm. is a f- comedy friend of theirs and one of the hosts of the Doughboys podcast. Oh, and, so you would and, know his voice well. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And it's sort of it's sort of an homage to um, I would say it's like an homage to Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of their lyrics are like homages to to movies and movie genres. And this yeah. song is sort of like a riff on the movie genre of like. I had this important friend when we were kids mm. and we like got up to stuff and uh, have all these like boomer era nostalgic memories of what my childhood was like with them. And they're probably like long gone now. Like they probably like died tragically young or something. I'm trying to remember. I think it was. Yes, I was totally correct. Um, Coheed and Cambria. Um, a band that I have mixed feelings about. Um, their album, In Keeping of the Silent Earth 3, had a secret track that was like, it's listed here as being, their last song on that album is called um, The Light in the Glass, and that's a nine minute, 40 second song. The hidden track is called 2113, and it's nine minutes and 50 seconds long. But it's not actually, like, I feel like it's only a minute long. And the reason I bring that up particularly is because this was the era of CDs. So people would, like, put the CD into their car Mm -hmm. and be driving, get to the end of the song. The album would be over and they would just be sort of bopping along doing whatever and then just get the shit scared out of them. Because this song would just come blaring Mm. through their speakers and they weren't expecting it. Right. Um, Which I feel like is not really the hidden song like not it's not normally that the hidden song scares the shit out of you right right (laughs) there's another Um, example which we have already talked about in the podcast before mm -hmm. we did an episode about homestar runner yes they put out an album of music from homestar runner which of course ends with a hidden track and it's called secret song and it's homestar at a piano singing lyrics like secret song i can't (laughs) i can't believe it's you you're the sequitous song on the album, Secret Song. <laughs> um, the other sort of like secret thing that we've already talked about on this, which isn't exactly a secret song, but I feel like is specific, it like fits into this realm, which is of course like, I've already talked at length about how I think Letters to Letter to an Old Poet is like a perfect last song for the record. Mm-hmm. Um, which side note Liz to some- Liz is talking about Boy Genius again. Yeah, of course I'm talking about Boy Genius. Um, the side note, we joked about, um, how we talked about the game of the year and now we were going to talk about the album of the year. And at the time I genuinely thought that 
Breath of, or that Tears of the Kingdom would win Game of the Year at the oh, Game Awards, right. and that the record would not be nominated for any Grammys, uh-huh. and instead, Baldur's Gate won the Game of the Year. Right. Um, Tears of the Kingdom won surprisingly little. Yeah, it won. It, it's sort of consolation prize was that it won uh, best action adventure game. Yes. Um, and Boy Genius, in fact, got nominated for seven Grammys, one of which mm-hmm. is Album of the Year. <laughs> yeah, and they're 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 bound to win something. Right? Yeah, th- with seven, it would be shocking if they didn't win something, especially because like some of the genres, like Cool About It, is in like folk. Like I think mm-hmm. I think it's like a folk nomination. Like they aren't just nominated only rock categories, right? Um. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for the Grammys. Um, for that. I mean, you know, award show, it's all bullshit, blah, 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 whatever. I would like them to win awards. That would make me happy. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited I, for the Oscars. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, my, my, your Oscars will be my Grammys this year. It's right around um, the corner. When are the, the Grammys? Are, are they also in the new year? Or? They, gotta, oh, they must be in the new year, but they're going to be. But I mean, if, be, yeah, if the nominees are already out there, then could be anything. Yeah, the, they just announced the nominees on the 10th and it's going to be <sighs> did you and did you and kenny watch the gamer awards we watched a, a pretty large portion of it yeah we were finishing up some um christmas shopping and so kenny had like had i had put la to bed and i came downstairs and he added on so we yeah. got to see so they they announced that new hideo kojima game back to back with the jurassic park game and i was like oh, what is it kenny lakes hour uh, yeah right <laughs> No, I saw. I, I scrolled through Twitter. I saw uh, you uh, and Park having a good time with uh, that Kojima moment. <laughs> yeah. Um. The February fourth, Sunday, February fourth. So okay. I'll have just come. Wait, is that when a- AWP is? I may have, maybe we'll have just be coming back from AWP. I thought I remember AWP. Yeah, yeah it's I, the next weekend. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's really early though this year mm-hmm. it's any time between february and april it's never in january it's never in may right but the first weekend of february or second weekend is like very early about as early as it could be yeah yeah, yeah. um so the Oscars last thing... are not until like march oh okay yeah but the like nom- we... but the nominees are out in january so we might talk oscars late next month oh good okay um the last thing i want to talk about is like the fact that people keep re-releasing albums with multiple iterations and by people i mean mm-hmm. taylor swift yes uh-huh. because it's not just that taylor swift has been re-releasing her um albums that were she lost the rights to um so that she can have more updated versions that she has the rights to the other thing is that she has been re-releasing songs um or re-releasing for the first time songs that didn't make it onto the album the first time that she's calling from the vault. Mm-hmm. And part of the um, reason she's doing this is, of course, practical. She needs to make the new album seem worth buying if you already have a version of it. Right. Um, though for many Swifties, so to speak, buying the new album is in, the new version of the album is, in fact, a moral choice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so that they can listen to these songs in a way that support the most famous person in the world instead of supporting the guy that stole her uh, masters. Right. But she does it on the new albums too. And so, and she's doing it with intentionality to a point. Mm-hmm. So for Midnight's, um, the album that came out most recently, the last song on Midnight's, the sort of standard Midnight's, is a song called Mastermind, 
mm-hmm. which is a song about how she there's I actually am probably going to end up quoting this because there's a line in there about how she didn't have very many friends as a kid. And so she had to become a mastermind to get people to love her. And I lost it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that song is very like reflective of the whole album because the idea is that the album is about songs from when she was staying up really late at night and like sh- they all happened at like midnight or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Mastermind is very much like, hey, I'm looking at you, like, I've produced this. Like, I have constructed not just me as an artist, that's absolutely part of it. I've also constructed the people around me, and, like, I don't know how much of that is genuine, and that makes me feel hurt. Um, But then she also releases the 3 a.m. edition of Midnight's, mm-hmm. which has a whole bunch of extra songs on it, like six, I think, maybe seven. Right. And the last song on that is a song called Dear Reader, which is the, um, like, same sort of vibe where she's, like, directly addressing the audience. So, again, it feels like this, like, fight. there's a finality to it. There's a, like, we're in this together to it. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> she puts out the Till Dawn version. Mm. And that version is like less intentional than the first two because it's got the karma version with ice spice and another song the lana del rey song um snow on the beach with more lana because basically she released this song called snow on the beach that had lana del rey in it but then people listened to it and they were like we can't really hear lana del rey like (laughs) you could listen to that song and not know that she's on it which is Mm -hmm. uh, strange for somebody who has such a specific voice right um so they she released a version of it that literally says like with more Lana Del Lana Del Rey. <laughs> That's funny. But then she released another version, and I'm I'm not gonna remember the name of it. I thought I wrote this down, but apparently I didn't. Um, and that one also has the um, remixes on it that technically end the album, but that version also has. The version that had that the song "You're Losing Me," which everybody knows slash believes is about her breaking up with Joe Alwyn, and also in many ways is a sort of fitting final track to this album. Like if the whole album is about like these moments at midnight, a lot of the songs are about like being in love with somebody and like really being in the throes of a relationship where. You're feeling things very intensely where you want to stay in that lavender haze, like in lavender haze, where you're like really in the relationship. So to end the album or, you know, end the last version of the last album, if we exclude in our minds for a second these remixes with You're Losing Me, which is about like her saying like, hey, I need you to do something in this relationship. Like I need you to to risk something, say something. I need you to do something because you're not acting like you love me as much as I love you and you're losing me because of that is like also its own sort of like poetic end. Um, and so the, okay, here we go. The last version with you're losing me is called the late night edition. <laughs> so we get midnights, 3am till dawn. And then Late night. Many iterations. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's interesting to think, like, 
she's very intentional with the way that she she's so she's so intentional. Taylor Swift is nothing if not intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about you know the whole the whole fact that there's a song called Mastermind. Like she's very intentional. So it's especially interesting to think like how when she's also producing so much content, like when so much music is going out into the world, it's interesting to see how she is saying like, well, this is the album, but here's this extra part and here's this extra part because the order of those songs matter, I think just as much um, because it's not like it's, again, it's not like it's willy nilly the way that they're being thrown on there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Those are my thoughts. That's my thoughts on last songs. Nice. <laughs> Um, I, I, I have another, uh, couple of examples I want to shout out. Oh, please. Um, before we wrap up, um, I hope you, uh, won't, um, uh, be hurt to, uh, hear me say that, uh, as you've been talking, I've been, I've been looking through some track lists that I didn't previously researched. Specifically, I've been going through the, uh, Dis- discography of uh, one of my favorite bands, They Might Be Giants, mm-hmm. uh, which is a band that uh, I have listened to a lot of their music, but I don't have a lot of um, strong connections to specific albums of theirs. I mm-hmm. prefer to sort of create my own best of and, and listen to the playlist that I've curated. Uh, so I needed some reminders of uh, what their track listings actually look like for their mm-hmm. major albums. And uh, there's a lot of them. And uh, there's one in particular I wanted to point out has uh, uh, a last track that happens to be uh, on my playlist of their of their best ofs. And mm. the, the, the album from 1994 is called John Henry and the last track on John Henry is called the end of the tour. Um, fitting, uh, it has end in the, in the name of it. So it's fitting that it should be the end of the, of the album. And it has lyrics that go like, uh, it's kind of a song that you need to hear. The lyrics don't sound like much on their Mm -hmm. own, but it's like, at the end of the tour, when the road disappears, if there's any more people around when the tour runs aground, and if you're still around, then we'll meet at the end of the tour. The engagements oh, are so... booked through the end of the world, so we'll meet at the end of the tour. I can just hear like how that feels very like circular in such yes. a right. Uh, it's very it's very catchy, and that's that's a a, a favorite uh, of mine from one of my favorite bands. That happens to be the last track on an album that uh, I would cherry pick from, like most of their albums, rather than listening to it mm-hmm. in full. Um, and then the other uh, example. So uh, the most recent uh, vinyl purchases that I've made are albums already mentioned here. Pinkerton by Weezer, mm-hmm. Bleed Out by the Mountain Goats. And the other most recent purchase on vinyl that I've made that I haven't mentioned is the album True Stories by Talking Heads. Mm. Uh, True Stories, as you may remember, is also the name of a movie directed by and starring David Byrne, frontman mm-hmm. for the Talking Heads. I bought the album True Stories. I opened it up. It has a note from David Byrne that says... This is not the soundtrack to the movie True Stories, <laughs> which I directed. 
And the, the reason for that is that if you watch the movie, it has all of these songs in it, but some of them are sung by the actors in the movie, uh-huh. such, such as John Goodman. Oh. So to listen to the soundtrack of the movie would be to listen to those versions of the songs. Mm-hmm. But the album, True Stories, is the Talking Heads version. I see. Yeah. Of those Talking Heads songs, which mm-hmm. were written for this movie. And it is uh, nine tracks in all, which I think is one too short. I wish that it were a nice round, even 10, but it's not. It's nine. And there are four tracks on side A. And a couple mm-hmm. of them are a little bit on the longer side. So that's justifiable. And then side B is five tracks. Wild Wild Life, Radiohead, which is where the band Radiohead gets its name from. Oh, really? Yes. At least, maybe that's apocryphal, but I understand that to be true. Yeah. Dream Operator, People Like Us, Uh and City of Dreams. Mm -hmm. As a a B-side of an album, I would put that up there with... Abbey Road, you mentioned yeah. before, with it, with anything, it's great. In particular, it, I would narrow it down to those last three. Dream mm-hmm. Operator, People Like Us, City of Dreams. Holy cow. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, People Like Us is kind of like the climax of the movie. Like sort of the climax of the movie mm-hmm. is... John Goodman singing People Like Us. And then City of Dreams follows that. Mm-hmm. It's the last track on the album. In the movie, that plays over the credits. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to shout it out because City of Dreams is a great song and a great way to end an album. Uh, and it also happens to follow People Like Us, which is like miraculously an even better song. Yeah, wow. Uh, And then Dream Operator also precedes people like us. And that's like more of a footnote, but also I love Dream Operator. I will totally go to bat for Dream Operator as well. Yes. There's also another song that I wanted to bring up that I just thought of, which is um, in the same sort of genre that I, it, it fits a lot of, what I've been saying about like everybody joins in for the last song, which mm-hmm. is all the song all circles, which was on me without you's album, 10 mm-hmm. stories. Do you mm-hmm. know that song? Yes. Um, that song is a, is essentially a paraphrased Hegel quote, mm-hmm. um, which is, you might know I have a Hegel quote on my um, ring finger. Love mm-hmm. that guy, except that he was deeply racist, but you know, we all, we contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh yeah, the like all circles presuppose they end where they begin and only in their leaving can they ever come back around. All circles presuppose they'll end where they begin. Um, like just over and over again by this like chorus. It's like, it's a shorter song, but it's so jaunty. And I love how Aaron Weiss can take something like saying, I do not exist or all circles presuppose like this idea that we're in these cycles um things that could be really really devastating and instead turn them into something that feels incredibly like freeing and powerful mm-hmm. um especially because i know that guy bless him who's a real weirdo uh has really struggled 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In his little, not struggled like, you know, with drugs or with poverty, but just like in his brain, thinking mm-hmm. about things. Yep. Um, so it feels especially triumphant to see somebody who struggled with things like that be able to be so, um, take something that could be negative and make it so powerfully positive. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, if you've never seen True Stories, the movie, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, same as the album by Talking Heads, True Stories. Um, in For lyrics in City of Dreams, you would hear a chorus that goes like, we live in the city of dreams. We drive on this highway of fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> should should we awake and find it gone? Remember this, our favorite town. Oh. And uh, it, it sort of, it reminds me of like, uh, you know, many people have uh, talked about movies in mm-hmm. the sense of they're like dreams. Um, especially the example in my mind is like David Lynch, you know, mm-hmm. talks about movies in, in these terms, you know, you go into the theater, it's dark, you, there are other people around you, it's collective, mm-hmm. uh, it's like you are whisked away to a, another world, uh, that has, uh, the logic of a dream you might have when you're asleep. And so City of Dreams, I, I think, you know, I can't think of the album, without thinking of the the movie. Yeah, that and, makes sense. And to have this song rolling over the credits is kind of like, it's you just had a dream, here's your off-ramp into, you know, going back to real life. Yeah. Well, what a good way to end the year 2023 on the pod. I think so, yeah. And uh, as much as it would be fitting to conclude the podcast in general in such a way obviously i cannot resist the siren song of doing another oscars episode and i look forward to talking to you about the year in movies uh yes. very, very soon talk to you soon will love you love you too thanks liz bye bye will is on twitter and letterboxd at youngest of one and his website is williamhoffacker.com you can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>